I want to tell you about two stories this morning. I want, I want to talk to you about uh, John chapter 13 and Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And I want to talk about uh, Luke chapter 7 and the time that Jesus was anointed by a sinful woman who poured perfume on his feet. These were two symbols of welcome and refreshing and blessing in Jesus' time in ancient Palestine. Uh, anointing with oil and washing of feet. This was how you welcomed somebody into your home. Some people just have the knack of making you feel welcome when you show up, don't they, when you go to their, to their house. Um, they go the extra mile. They put a lot of thought into what they do. They light the candles. They get the flowers out. They get their best crockery out. They make you a nice meal. They make you feel welcome. They make you feel that they want you to come into their home. I don't know if you've experienced that or you've been in a place where you've had an extravagant welcome. I, I was on a, uh, David's off to Israel this week with a party, taking a party to Israel um, and uh, suffering for the Lord over there. And um, I, I cycled around Israel once a long time ago, 2008, and uh, we'd had a long day of cycling and we arrived at a kibbutz and this South African couple came out and they made us an absolute feast. I'll never forget it. It was just the meal of all meals and with apologies to the vegetarians amongst us. It was just steaks and pork chops and it was just, it was just memorable. It was, a, it was a real warm welcome. And at the other end of the scale, maybe you've been somewhere where you feel about as welcome as a guest at Faulty Towers. I mean, we, we did a church weekend um, several years, many years ago, uh, in Exmouth. And uh, we went to this hotel that, that um, I think Dave chose it. Um, <laughs> and um, everything was too much trouble for them. <laughs> People were saying, could I have a bit more milk for my tea, please? And they said, that'll be 50 pence extra. And um, we f I just did not, we didn't go back there. I didn't feel very welcome. And um, I remember one time as well being invited back to somebody's house after a wedding. And the husband took it upon himself, just everybody back to ours, come on, come on over. But the wife had not been consulted <laughs> by the husband. So we could hear fierce whispering in the kitchen, hissing noises, and we all felt very unwelcome and people left very quickly. Or one of my favorites is when you go into a shop and the shop assistants are all chatting away to each other and it's obvious that you're a great inconvenience to them to actually turn up and want to buy something. Um, we have certain customs in our culture, don't we, that, um, that we use to extend um, welcome to people, to express welcome. And in Jesus' time, in first century Palestine, it was no, no different. Um, and, and two of their customs, as I said, was, was to welcome someone into your home, was to wash their feet after their journey and to anoint them with oil for refreshing and um, washing people's feet wasn't ceremonial, it was practical um, because people were walking around dusty, muddy, dung-covered, camel-dung-covered roads. And so when they got to your house for dinner, you really did want to wash their feet. Their feet got dirty and smelly. And then you reclined at the table, they would recline at the table. And you can imagine it was in everybody's best interest that guests would have clean and scrubbed pinkies. <clears throat> so people's feet and cleaning them was seen as a demeaning task. It was a menial task. It was a servant's 
task. It was reserved for the household servants to wash the feet. And um, one day Jesus and his disciples, as we read in John 13, they were having a last supper together. And it was a, a secret meal in an, in an upper room, and no one had washed anyone's feet. And Jesus' disciples were not about to do it. In fact, in a parallel passage in Luke, they were all having their favorite argument with each other. Who is the greatest amongst us? And I don't think Peter and John, I don't think they were arguing, saying, no, John, it's you. You're the best. And I don't think Peter say, uh, John was saying, no, no, it's you, Peter. Don't be ridiculous. You know you're the star, the disciple. You're the man. No, I insist. I don't think it was that kind of argument. I don't think that's how the conversation was going. And what a picture of fallen humanity. The ego and the pride and the vanity. The complete spiritual denseness. As Jesus is getting ready to suffer and die and go to the cross for these people. They are jockeying for position in his earthly kingdom. And as they come into this upper room, they all file past the bowl of water and the towel that is by the door, and they look at it, and they think, that's not my job. That's the servant's job. And they go and they recline at the table. One by one, they come in, and they lie down at the table, and they get ready to eat with Jesus, Nobody's touching the water or the towel because it's not their job. That's a servant's job. And what would you do if you were Jesus, the Son of God? You know what lies ahead of you. You know what this supper represents as you come into this room. You've invested three years of your life in these distinguished gentlemen. And now they are arguing about who's the greatest amongst them. They're reclining together. And the collective smell of dirty feet is overwhelming. Just the smell of dung. You know when you've stood in dog poo and you can just smell it? So they're all lying at the table and everyone's got this whiff of dung. And who's going to wash everybody's feet? I'm not washing feet. Why should I? You do it. What makes you think that you are more important than me? I, I want to attend to Jesus and you sort the feet out. I'm busy with the important stuff. And then Jesus puts down his bread and he gets into a crouch position and he stands up and he starts to take off his outer clothing and he reaches for the towel and the basin that are lying untouched by the door, and he wraps the towel around his waist. And Peter and Andrew, they stop mid-sentence. They all look at Jesus. <laughs> what is he doing? And then he starts, one by one, to wash their feet. The room is so silent, you can just hear the trickling of the water as he washes and wipes, and washes and wipes. And by the time he's finished, the towel is brown with dirt and manure. And when he had finished washing their feet, we read, 
in John 13. He put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Jesus' action not only had a symbolic message that they would soon understand, it also is a plain lesson they could understand right now. Wash one another's feet. And Jesus was challenging them to embrace a life of serving love towards others. And Paul understood it this way when he said in Philippians 2 verse 4, he said, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So that's the first story, the story of the Lord Jesus Christ washing his disciples' feet while they argue who is the greatest amongst them. The second story is from Luke chapter 7, and uh, we read about it in verses 36 to 50. And in this story, we, we read, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Here are the Pharisees again, the religious people of Jesus' day. And here's another player this time in this scene. We read of a woman who, Luke says, had lived a sinful life. And she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she started crying and she stood by Jesus' feet and she started to pour oil over his feet and she wept over his feet and then she began to wipe his feet with her hair and to dry his feet with her hair. And Simon and the other Pharisees who are watching on think if Jesus really was a prophet, if he really knew what kind of woman this is, he wouldn't let her near his feet. He wouldn't let her wash his feet. He wouldn't let her anoint him with oil. If he really knew, if he was really a prophet, this would not be happening. And then Jesus turns to Simon, the Pharisee, and he said, do you, he turns to Simon and he points to the woman and he says, do you see this, do you see this woman? I came into your house, Simon, you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. And you didn't give me a kiss, which was also a form of greeting. But this woman, from the time I entered, she's not stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't put any oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven her for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. The washing of feet, the anointing of oil, both signs of welcome and hospitality, and both missing in these two stories. In the one story, Jesus has to get up and wash their feet. And in the other, he praises a woman that opens her heart in this way and challenges Simon, who has extended no welcome to Jesus whatsoever, 
Now Jesus' challenge comes to us. You wash people's feet. You anoint people's heads with oil. Now you do it. We exist, Plymouth Christian Centre exists to love and to serve people, to enable them to become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. We cannot physically do these things for Jesus now, of course, but he challenges us. And as we've reminded ourselves over these recent weeks, when the righteous asked Jesus, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you, you, you in, see you as a stranger and invite you in or in needing clothes or, and clothe you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whenever you, whenever you did this, whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. The Bible says it's easy to be friendly to your friends. <laughs> How are you different from anyone else if you do that? Even the heathen do that. We're talking at the end of this vision and values series about getting involved. But the question I have to ask myself is what is the motivation behind the service? Because last week we talked about... Um, we talked about generosity and we talked about giving. And we went back to the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. And how Jesus went after the heart issue. How Jesus looked at the Pharisees who were giving a tenth of everything they had. And he said, you still, you're not giving your heart. You're not giving out of love and out of a, a generous heart. And, and what drives us to minister? What drives us to service? We were in, the, in with the young adults the other week on a Monday evening and they did a question and answer session. And one of the questions they asked was, how can you obey what Jesus says when he says that we are to lay down our lives? We are to take up our cross. How can we, how can I, how can you live more sacrificially for Jesus? How can we do that? And we addressed that and we thought about that together and we thought about the fact that if you do things out of duty and drudgery, you won't be able to do it for very long. But the great motivator for sacrifice, the great motivator for service is love. It's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, went to the cross and gave everything he had the motivation of duty or guilt or someone's got to do it leads to drudgery. But the response of love and joy and gratitude leads to delight in service. And you look at Simon versus the sinful woman. Simon the Pharisee. Simon the religious person doing all of the religious things and the religious duties. But Jesus says, Simon, I've got something to tell you. And he says, two men, and he t tells a little story, two men were owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, which is about a year and a half's wages, and the other 50, and neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 
And Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt cancelled. And he said, you've judged correctly. And, he, and then he, he points to the woman and he says everything that she's done for him. And he says, he who has been forgiven little loves little. But if we've been forgiven much, we love much. And this woman, it was no effort for her to wash Jesus' feet. It was no effort for her to weep over him. It was no effort for her to wipe his feet with her tears because her actions came from a place of love. Her actions came from a place of having been forgiven. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she had a messed up life. She knew she had issues. And she knew that Jesus was a man of grace and a God of grace and a God who would forgive her and set her free. And out of this place of abundant love just overflowed this service. Everyone else in the room is asking questions and making judgments. Simon hasn't lifted a finger to serve the Lord. He's not welcomed him with water. He's not kissed him. He's not wiped his feet. But, but this woman, this sinful woman, that's all we know her as. We don't even know her name. She, she is so overwhelmed by love for the Savior that it is an act of abundant joy for her to pour out her love and her service for Jesus. And the motivation for her is love. The motivation is, he has given me so much. I have been forgiven so much. I want to serve him. It's a vision of the Savior, a vision of Jesus. David Brainerd was an 18th century missionary to the Native Americans. And he once wrote in his journal, he said, if I cannot serve God one way, I will serve him in another. I will never leave off this blessed service. Only someone whose heart has been captivated and captured for Christ could ever write something like that. Without this, our service will be duty. It will be drudgery. It will be rotors and it will be guilt and it will be someone's got to do it. I guess I better do it. But it will not be a delight. Love is the great motivator. And do you remember Jesus when he recommissioned Peter after Peter had messed up and Peter had forsaken Jesus and denied him three times. And Jesus meets up with him on a seashore. And what is the question that he asks him? Do you regret what you did, Peter? Do you feel enough level of guilt for me to reinstitute your ministry? Have you seen the error of your ways? No, the question that Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter... Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? And, and, and Peter, he says, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And, and Peter remembers all of his failings. He remembers the look at the fireplace. He, he remembers denying his Lord. He remembers even with the greatest intentions, Lord, even if all the others forsake you, I'll never forsake you. I'll never let you down. He, remember, he remembers all of that. And he stands in the, in the ruins of his purported ministry. But he says, Lord, deep down you know. You know I love you. And you know I want to serve you. And Jesus commissions him. And he says, right, on the basis of that love, I want you to build my church. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to teach them. I, I want, I'm going to commissioning you, Peter, to serve me for the rest of your life. 
And Peter would go on to serve the Lord, and he would go on to be a founding member of the church, and he would go on to be a great apostle and a great teacher, and he would go on to die for the Lord. Legend has it, history has it, that he was crucified upside down as he served God, even unto death. But what drove him to that? Was it guilt? Was it, was it a sense of duty? No, it was love that drove him to serve the Lord. Paul, when he writes, he says, we were compelled by love. We were compelled by love to do this. When you love someone, it is no great effort to do things for them. When you love someone, you will go the extra mile for them. You will, you will do anything for them because you love them. And love is such a great motivation. And it is our great motivation. When we talk about serving and ministry and, and getting involved, the same applies. There's so much to do in a church like this, in a body like this. There are young people to teach every Sunday in Source and every Friday and in small groups. There are children to disciple and bring up in the ways of the Lord and to tell them and to put the, 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 the store of biblical truth into their hearts for the rest of their lives. There are people that did that for me. There's, there are people that spent every Sunday teaching me the Bible. When I was a child, they poured their lives into me. There were youth leaders that did it for me. There were, there were people that gave sacrificially. There were older people in the church that would nurture and look out for the younger ones. And, and there, was a whole, there was a whole row of people that invested in me in that way and in many of us. There is so much to do in a church like this. There are people to welcome, visitors that need a warm, a warm welcome. There is soup to serve on a cold Friday night. There is sandwiches to make and prepare. There is coffee and flasks to fill. There are, there are cakes to bake. There's tables to set up. There are computers that need running and fixing and sorting out and light systems and there are chairs to clean and floors to clean and toilets to clean and but it's not about rotors and it's not about drudgery and it's not about guilt and it's it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ sometimes it is a duty sometimes it is hard work sometimes it is a drudgery but it can also be a delight a delight to serve the Lord a delight to know that when we give that cup of water we're giving it as if it were given to Jesus. When we're serving that cup of coffee, we're doing it as if we were serving it to Jesus. And are we going to sit with our arms folded like Simon and look on? Are we going to sit like the disciples who refused to wash dirty feet because it was below their station? Or are we going to see again like the sinful woman and the sinful man that we are, how much Jesus has done for us? how much of a debt he has paid for us, the love he has poured out for us, and in response to that love, pour out our love and gratitude and service for him to others in Jesus' name. Church is not just about me and what I can get out of it. The call is for every one of us to be people of the towel, and when Jesus went back to his place and you could cut the air 
with a knife. And when he put his clothes back on, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right to do so, because that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example so that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. (laughs) The great truth of the kingdom of God, which is upside down compared to the kingdom of this world, is that if we think we can hold on to our lives and be selfish and look after number one, the Bible says you will lose your life. But if you give your life away, you will find your life. You will receive life. The Bible says that the one who refreshes other people will themselves be refreshed. The Bible says that actually there is one that holds on to things and hoards things, and actually they always experience want and lack. And there's another one that gives away and scatters, and they always seem to have enough. Because the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. And we feel sometimes that by looking after number one and not serving and not getting involved and looking after me, that somehow we preserve ourselves. But actually, Jesus says, the Bible says, the truth is, the more we give of ourselves to the kingdom of God, the more we receive back, the more blessed we will be. And Jesus says, if you do this now, you will be blessed. Now, if you will pick up on your seats, under your seats, this little booklet, get involved. We have just highlighted where we can, and Natalie's put this booklet together for us, and thank you to those who've contributed to it. We've highlighted in this little booklet just some, just some various ways that you could possibly get involved. And I'm addressing this to two groups of people. I'm addressing it to people who've been here forever and have kind of yeah, drifted a little bit perhaps to the periphery. But I'm also addressing it to, if if you're new, we've got quite a few new people or people who've been here maybe a few months or a year and you still feel like you've not really got your hands dirty or you've really not got involved or you've not felt the opportunity to do that, you've not been sure what you can do. And we just want to spell it out in really clear terms. I'm going to ask the band to come up now as well, please. And um, so we've, we've got here a section on serving on Sundays. Sunday coffee, communion, helping in the parents' room, being on the welcome team, the worship team, the multimedia and the sound team. Then we've talked about practical help, the Love Thy Neighbor ministry, the soup run ministry. We're talking about a maintenance team of of guys and women. If you're practical, good at DIY, you want to come and help fix up the building sometimes or do a practical job, fix some lights or repair something or you know you could join the maintenance team cake baking is a spiritual gift of the highest order and (laughs) and you may have it (laughs) and the lord wants you to use it for his glory and i'm the tester of those cakes and catering and hospitality we do so much with food and trying to make people feel welcome and there's so much work goes into that we've got children and youth ministries which are so formative 
Jelly Beans Toddler Group on a Friday, Kids Club and Junior Source, Kids Zone, and we've got the Youth Ministry, which has several outlets. And then we've got the Intern Program, which we've highlighted this morning for you. We've got group gatherings, activity groups that meet around the city and do various things, community groups, young adults ministry, men's ministry, ladies' ministry, the gift of years for the fourth generation, those that are getting a little bit older and, and ministering to them, visiting people in care homes, those that can't get out to fellowship anymore. There's a whole ministry there. Early morning prayer, we've got prayer here in courses. Many opportunities to get involved in praying. The prayer center on a Wednesday morning that meets so faithfully and serves so many. The Alpha Course, which is just a phenomenal way to introduce people to Jesus. Um, I was hearing about one community group this week that was sharing testimonies, and nearly everyone in the room had gotten saved on an Alpha Course. And uh, it's just such an important ministry. Freedom Encounters, helping people find freedom in Christ. Kintsugi Hope for mental health and well-being groups. Foundations course, helping people find their way in the Christian faith. And baptism course. Now some of these, they're ministries that you can attend and be a part of. They're not asking for volunteers. And we're just saying, get involved. Come along. Join one of those groups. But some of them, at the bottom of these sections, you will find that there are clear volunteer opportunities. Ways that you can pick up a towel and serve. So what I'd like you to do as the band play through this old song, this old song, This Is Our God, The Servant King, just take a few moments to have a read while you're sitting here. And then there's a card inside, get involved. Now if you need more time than we're going to give now, we're going to give five or ten minutes now during the service for you to have a read and a look. And it may be that something piques your interest. Now you can take this response card and uh, the welcome team and others are going to walk around with pens for you. If you need a pen... Just put your hand up in a moment. Just put your hand up whenever you need a pen and someone miraculously will appear with one. Um, but it may be that you just want to tick uh, some of these areas and say, I'd like more information on getting involved. I'd, I'd, I'd like, at least at this point, you're not committing yourself. You're asking for more information to get involved. Or it may be that there's another area of ministry that you'd like to highlight that you'd like to get involved in or another comment that you'd like to make. We need you to tick the little box saying we can use your data at the bottom. And then we're going to collect these in at the end, in our offering, uh, at the end of the service. Um, if you need more time, oh, this is not about press-ganging anyone into doing anything. If you need more time, take it home with you, fill it out at your leisure, and either email it in or just drop it into the offering next week. That's fine too. If you're watching online, uh, you can go onto our website, and the same information will be available there. And in the same way, you can contact us and, and express your interest in getting involved. We are asking for and challenging you to take this opportunity to pick up a towel and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Not out of duty, not out of drudgery, not out of compulsion, the same we said last week about giving and finance, but from a heart of love, from people that have been forgiven so much and given so much that we want to help love people and serve them to enable them to become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. And in whatever way we can do that, I'm going to roll up my sleeve and I'm going to help the cause. <laughs>